on the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer. 1017thehammer.com. You can text the show. It's easy to do. Just uh, fire your questions and comments off to 765-447-4080. That's 765-447-4080. We're going to go over to the Hammerhead Hotline and uh, talk to our good friend Sam King of the Lafayette Journal and Courier. Does an amazing job of covering uh, local high school sports and uh, so much more over there. Sam, Always a pleasure to have you on. It's it's been a minute since we've had you on to talk a little bit about uh, high school and uh, boy, I, the spring season just like flies by, man. I, I was looking at the dates here and I can't believe they do the sectional draw here for what the women's tennis and and baseball and softball. That's next Sunday. Um, it, it feels like the season's flying by. How about you? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's flying by, but also there are several. Um, teams that have not played a whole lot because this spring has been pretty much a washout. Uh, I think it rained at one point for eight straight days, and I don't envy the athletic directors who have to figure out how to fit all these games in when you postpone and know that this is a conference game, so we have to play it, and unfortunately sometimes you've got to cut a game against somebody else just to get the conference game in, um, double headers, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, even last night Harrison and McCutcheon did not play in baseball, uh, that got pushed back. It's actually uh, first pitches in about two hours. So that's where I'm heading today. But uh, it's been unfortunate that, you know, especially with from a baseball perspective, that throws your pitching rotation all out of whack and uh, really forces those coaches to uh, have to have to do their job and find out how we got enough pitching to get through some of these weeks where we're playing four or five days in a row. But uh, for the most part, yeah, it's it's gone quick and uh, it's it's been interesting, um, you know, the last time I was on, I talked about some potential storylines and things that you might see. Well, some of those aren't panning out. Other things, others have emerged, and um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how everything shakes out with the sectional draw and uh, what teams are, are playing down the line um, deep into the postseason. So you talk about these makeup things here. I would assume then that means that Jeff Baseball is probably, um, but they they must have a real advantage. You go play over there at Loeb, and you can play in conditions that you probably can't in a lot of other fields because of you know the setup, the turf, the, the drainage, and all that stuff. So they're probably getting the most baseball in, I would assume. Correct, or am I wrong in assuming that? No, they have played more games than anyone else in this area. And uh, kind of to your point, on Monday, if you will call, it snowed. It's snowing, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I read the article. <laughs> so I. Uh, you know, I'm texting the, the head coach over there, Clayton Richard, and I said, are you playing today? And uh, he kind of, like, laughed it off, like, why wouldn't we play? And I was like, well, nobody else is playing. Um, he said, we have shovels. And halfway thought he was joking until he sent me a photo of their preseason scrimmage that was supposed to be against Rossville, which ended up just being an intra-squad scrimmage. But it was the kids with shovels in the outfield pushing all the snow off the, the field. So, yeah, because it's not grass and dirt, you can get away with that. You just, you know, shovel it to the the edge there and uh, plop it on its side, and you can go out there and play. They didn't actually need to get the shovels out Monday uh, because there was just enough warmth, I guess, that came in around noon or so that that all melted. But, yeah, it's a real advantage to have artificial turf, uh, especially in conditions like this. It, you can even play in the rain, and, you know, they have. Um, it doesn't get too out of control over there. It's, you know, the drainage is good. Um, and clearly just being able to smooth the path off is much easier than uh, trying to get you know snow or get rain off of an infield dirt. 
Ten-year-old uh, me is chiming in. Just I can feel it in my hands, swinging a bat in those cold conditions, like those first couple of t-ball, you know, little league stuff. There, just I can, I can feel it shaking my hands right now. I'm having, oh man, uh, I don't know how they do it, but uh, they're doing it. Uh, Sam King on with us here, the uh, J and C. L- let's go over to softball a little bit here. Uh, how have your uh, early season predictions been going in the uh, net realm in softball? Well, I thought Harrison would be the team to beat around here. Um, Benton Central, again, looks to be very strong. Uh, you know, that's a team that's had some great postseason success in recent years, uh, was a few outs away from making it to the state finals not long ago. And um, some of these kids that are on the team still uh, were a part of that run. So they definitely know how to win. And uh, the biggest question I, was, I had about Benton Central was the pitching because they did lose the best pitcher they had last season. But uh, they seem to be doing just fine. Um, and then Harrison – what a machine they've got over there where every year they're losing players that you think, how do you recover from that? And then it's just new kids the next season that step up. Um, I can't imagine a division, a team that has three division one players that you lose. You know, last year they had the Henderson twins that both went to Iowa and Abbott Badgley, who's now playing uh, significant uh, innings at Bradley. Uh, they lose those three that were kind of three power hitters that all had averages up around, you know, above 500 for two of them and around 400 for another. And yet here you just plug in some new kids and keep the train rolling along. So, uh, you know, they've had some rough games. Uh, everyone has, but uh, they play a challenging schedule. And I think that uh, it's a team in the postseason you need to look out for. We're talking with Sam King, Lafayette Journal and Courier here on the uh, Hammerhead Hotline. Now, uh, it's been a minute, like I said, Sam, since we get to talk to you. I, I kind of want to go back and touch on a few things. First off, we found out Rob Finnessy's going to uh, Cincinnati. Of course, a uh, standout here at McCutcheon. And, a, uh, I mean, it, it's been quite a career for that young man. Um, it, it just, it's sad that it ended the way that it does at Indiana, where I, I don't want to say that they just didn't seem to want him there for the future, but, I mean, Clearly, he doesn't think that that's the best place for him. Cincinnati is a, a better situation for him. But uh, you, you see him make that transfer to Cincinnati. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I knew that he had visited Cincinnati uh, maybe a week or two ago. Um, you know, it, it almost sickens me a little bit that the IU fan base was all kind of like, good, get him out of here, we don't want him. This kid hit a buzzer-beating three to beat Butler and a, a last-second three to beat Purdue in his career. Um, you know, he'll live on forever in Bloomington just for those two shots alone. But um, he had injuries. You know, he probably didn't have the, the career he hoped to at Indiana. It's tough because, you know, he went there under a new coach in a system that really didn't fit his skill sets. And then you get a new coach your senior year, and um, he kind of got lost in the shuffle at times there. But uh, I think he, you know, the transfer portal is a, a weird situation because when you put your name in there, it's recruiting overload. It's, it's nothing like when you're coming up through high school and you get the occasional coach coming through or the letters in the mail. It's like, you know, piranhas. Just like every coach that needs a point guard is suddenly hitting you up. And, um, you know, I think he did his due diligence and came down to Butler or Cincinnati and just tried to find out the best place for him. And hopefully he has some success there, stays healthy because – I think that, you know, he's a guy that uh, in high school just dribbled circles around everybody and could get to the rim. But uh, when he was under uh, Coach Miller at Indiana, the system didn't kind of fit, you know, his abilities, I don't think. And now I think he's going to a place that he thinks he can flourish. Um, you got one year of eligibility left. Why would you not go to a place that you think we can win and I can play a lot and, and be successful here? So that is my hope is that, you know, he 
he goes there and has a great finish to his career and um, maybe leaves some of these IU fans thinking, you know, where was this on our team? Well, you know, unfortunately, he never really got a chance to showcase everything he could do there. You know, uh, we love, I, I think, as um, people here in the community that cover local athletics, we love to see uh, the local products go on, do great things in college, but it's rare that you see some of them make it uh, to the pros. And, of course, you know, we're going to watch George here in the draft next week, but um, about a week ago or so, you know, Macy Williams, you cover her from Benton Central. I mean, makes it into the WNBA, oh. gets drafted as well. I mean, that's... Uh, that's a first for you, right? Seeing somebody go in the WNBA that you that you got to cover in high school. Yeah, it was Fountain Central. Sorry, um, Fountain, sorry, sorry. What I say, Benton. Sorry, Fountain Central. But, my bad. Yeah, but uh, no, she's somebody in high school who just when she came on, uh, you thought, okay, here's a good a good big player that in the small school environment is going to succeed. And as her career went on in high school, they were adding bigger and better schools to the schedule just because they had Macy Williams. And, um, you know, probably ends up being an Indiana all-star, which I think a lot of people probably thought, uh, she's a fringe player. Maybe she just fits a need as a post, but, um, she proved herself in the junior all-star setting. And then as a senior all-star with the, in the Kentucky series, and then goes to IEPY and is a four-time Horizon League player of the year, which, uh, I had to look it up. And then I fortunately trusted the IEPY PR staff that, <laughs> Uh, only four players in the history of women's college basketball have won their league's player of the year four times. Now, you know, she did get a COVID year, so she played five years. So, But you're um, in the portal era, too. I mean, somebody in a, in a mid-major yeah. like that, staying there that long to win them is, is mind-blowing these days. Yeah, and she, you know, they made it to the NCAA tournament twice. The one year was the, the season that COVID canceled the NCAA tournament, unfortunately, but that was first for that program. And, uh, you know, then... You, you think maybe she's a possible WNBA draft pick or she gets a camp invite, if nothing else, but she's probably got a career in, in pro basketball if she wants to go overseas. And then, you know, she gets drafted, not only drafted, she gets drafted by the Phoenix Mercury, which are, you know, that's one of the premier franchises in the WNBA. So she's going to have a chance to play with some really uh, good, talented players. And if she can make that roster, um, that's, that's pretty legit. So that's big on her. And then, you know, you're talking about George. That's a kid that uh, I wrote about him as a going into his sophomore year, just about how IU had offered him without any high school football experience. Uh, still didn't really understand the game, and you just kind of saw the body, and you thought, you know, with the athleticism and the odd background of water polo and shot put and all that stuff that he had in Greece, uh, if he can put that together with the natural freakish strengths and athleticism he had on, in football, um, he might be something. And then, you know, Lo and behold, he's getting offers from Alabama, Ohio State. Every anybody who was anybody in college football was offering him, and he chose to stay home and lived up to the billing. And now he's going to be uh, hearing his name called in the first round of the draft and making quite a bit of money, I assume, and helping some football uh, franchise uh, defensively for quite some time. And then there's one last thing I want to ask you about because I know it was the JNC the other day. I, I know you, uh, Kyle down in Indianapolis wrote it, uh, but. The prospect of eight-man high school football uh, getting kind of a test run here in, in Indiana, that that could possibly be a thing. It's, it's interesting to me because I know this is really going to benefit the really the smallest schools that can't afford to field these big teams and stuff and play 11-on-11, 11 11, but it's, it seems like an interesting concept just to even give it a try, but what were your thoughts when you saw that? Yeah, this is something that probably has been materializing for at least five years, and some schools 
that I'd talked to in the past, um, you know, like a, a frontier or a school like that that doesn't have a huge enrollment and uh, doesn't really have, you know, sometimes years where they can put 11 guys on 11 guys in practice and, and kind of simulate the game where, you know, you go out there and there's coaches playing defensive back against the offense. So, um, you know, they there was a push of coaches that were trying to, to see what the, um, I guess, the intrigue would be to eight-man football where some of these schools could – still have a football program, but um, you don't have to worry about if we get two kids injured, we're, we're basically screwed and um, don't have enough players to go out there. I mean, you don't want to take 16 guys to a varsity football game and just have to hope that nobody gets hurt because you don't have a whole lot of help on the sideline that you mm-hmm. can insert in the lineup. So um, I think it's a, a sport that's getting pushed. And, you know, I don't know uh, in terms of with Title IX and such, how you get that approved by the IHSAA and things like that. But I think it is something that's, you'll see uh, keep moving forward. And I think that it'll be something that uh, some of these smaller schools, they'll set up some sort of league or some, some way, find a way to make it happen. Yeah. There's no way they're going to let like the big schools in on this. This has to be like small one, a schools and, and maybe some other one, a schools. And, and that's about it because you, you just, you, <laughs> it would just, I think it would be a nightmare if you start letting like the, the five, a and six, a teams start fielding eight man football teams. It just seems like a bad idea to me. Well, yeah, you see, uh, you know, programs like Lafayette, Jeff Harrison, where they've got 80 kids out at football practice every day. You know, they don't need eight man football. They, they've got varsity, junior varsity, freshman teams, and even kids that are subs on all of those levels. So, um, yeah, I think it, it would be more of a thing for the small schools. Um, I don't know how you would incorporate larger schools if they wanted to go that route. Um, but I'm sure there are also larger schools that feel like they can't compete in 6A, but maybe they're, you know, the 30th biggest school in the state and have to compete at that level. But they, you know, no, they're never going to be a, a Warren Central or a Ben Davis or a Carmel or somebody like that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting when they get that kind of up and running to see what everybody tries to do. But I think that the idea is more t- geared towards we want to keep having football at our school and we don't have the kids to support doing that unless we drop it down to eight-man football. Yeah, and you'd have to, if you put the bigger schools in, well, you'd have to do it in the spring then. Uh, you couldn't do it concurrently, I don't think, with the other football season because that's probably not what they would want to do. And it, it, Yeah, that just sounds like a whole big headache. I, keep it to the small schools. Give them a chance to play. You know, The Carmels of the world don't need to be fielding those teams. That's, that's my opinion. Sam King, Lafayette Journal Kurgan. Does a great job covering all the stuff locally, all the great high school stuff. You want to know about it, he's got you covered. Sam, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, buddy. Take care of yourself. We'll have you on again here in a few weeks, all right? All right, sounds good. Appreciate it. Take care, buddy. See ya. All right, we're going to go and take another break here. Big thanks to Sam. We'll come back. More Hammer Down Show. We'll check in on the White Sox, what's going on there, and more next here on the Hammer Down Show.